0: And now for the elephant in the room. As some of you have heard, we had um, an issue on Friday night that someone decided to come in that didn't have a key. And so they came in, and um, fortunately, some of it's actually comical that I won't get into right now, but it's actually comical. So um, they got six baby bottles. And I, I, they left one on my desk that had a... That mine was the only office that locked, so they broke in my office. But um, I know that some of them had change in it. One of them had cash in it. I don't know that any others had checks in it. There was only six turned in early. So if you turned yours in early and it had a check in it, come see me. And if it's not the one on my desk, you might want to let your bank know. The other thing is... Um, I think they came in for all the baby bottles, not knowing they're not all here. Because, of course, you're going to bring them all in next week. It's Father's Day. Um, so thinking that, well, this is a church, I, I'm stealing the money. Well, we have big honking safe. And then another safe on top, they took the safes. You know what was in them? Nothing. <laughs> We, we count on Monday or Tuesday. You know? So there was one check that we know of, and we'll contact that person and make sure that kind of, their bank kind of gets to know it. And for those of you who, who are smartphone literate, um, they did get away with an old iPhone 6 that the battery is no good on. They got that. And probably one of the things that bothers me the most is they took my garbage can. Yeah. So I've been throwing things on the floor, forgetting, all morning. Um, Little bit of damage, but I'll tell you what, it it could have been way, way worse. Here's the funny thing. All week I've been planning today's sermon. I'm going to have you skip ahead. If If you're in your worship folders an outline, there's a place to write this down. Here's what today's sermon has been on all week. You can fill this in now. You ready? Choosing compassion when you feel contempt. So I don't know who this applies to today, (laughs) but it's kind of it's kind of a big deal. Um, Here's what we know: we have some pictures and video and stuff, and the person may or may not be caught. But here's what we know: Um, we need to, as followers of Jesus, choose compassion when we feel contempt. That doesn't mean there aren't consequences for action. It doesn't mean you can't say, "I hope the person gets caught." Because if they're a, a, they, from all appearances, are a younger person, I hope they get caught because I don't want them to continue like this. It's better to get caught now when the consequences aren't so bad. Yeah, I got two years for stealing a garbage can. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but it's way better for that to happen now. So we're not talking about not having consequences because we all know that there are consequences for your actions. What we are talking about is how we as a body of Christ respond and how, how we respond in situations where that's not how we feel like we want to respond. So, um, in your, as I said, in your worship folder, there's an outline for you to follow along, um, for you to be able to uh, see what verses there are and, and take a few notes. We're in this series, this is the second week in this series, and we're looking at how to deal with how you feel. Because we all have emotions, we all have these feelings, and sometimes we know exactly why. Sometimes it's because we were thinking something that maybe we shouldn't have thought, because it all starts with our heads and what we're thinking. But we have these feelings, and you can't just change your feelings. You can't say, okay, I'm not going to feel that way anymore. You can't do that. But you can change the way you think, and that can change the way you feel. So it has a lot to do with that whole background stuff. Last week we talked about choosing hope when you feel hopeless. And that's what we need to do, so that we can share that hope with people who need it. So, one of the when I think about um, feeling contempt, I, I, I'll just you you know me. I'm I'm a little bit of an introvert. I would like way better to be alone doing something, but that's not what I'm called to do. So often I'm out there, but I would much rather kind of be you know in a smaller setting. And sometimes. I get those feelings that I shouldn't have when I'm in crowds, or I see certain types of crowds. Now, some of you, this first one I'm going to mention, I have a couple pictures, but the first one I'm going to mention, some of you are going to say, oh, I can't wait for that. That's so much fun. How many of you go to the Minnesota State Fair? I don't know what you think of when you go to the Minnesota State Show the first picture. Here's what I think of. <laughs> I was there that day. Record crowds. That's what I think of. It's like, where are you going? I don't know. Wherever everybody's going, you know, I just lift my feet up and go along with the crowd. That's how I feel. Now, there are valid reasons for putting up with that, as in the next picture. (laughs) There are reasons that you put up with crowds like that. But even then, here's what I see when I think about how good those are going to be. The next picture, that's what it looks like. I'm getting cookies. I'm spending 14 times more for cookies than I should, and I'm waiting in line for an hour to do it. (laughs) I think of that, and I think of the crowds, and there's there's fun stuff along with that and everything, but I'm going to stop with the pictures for a minute because the next couple things I'm going to talk about are too depressing to put pictures up there. Like, for instance, crowds that can bug us. Rush hour. Why? Who named it? Rush hour. I mean, it takes more than an hour, but nobody's rushing. You're not going anywhere. And then in Minnesota, we add to rush hour, we also have construction, which in Minnesota is rush hour plus construction. And, and it's like you see those crowds and it's like, yeah, I'm not feeling a lot of love right now for what's going on here. Or um, lake traffic. We have, you know, in our area, if you are blessed to have a lake cabin, I'm really glad, but I, I got to say, here's how I see it. You wait in line three hours in traffic to mow the lawn and then wait in line three hours to come back. That's kind of how I look at it. And now you have construction as well as lake traffic together. And I think, you know what, just go to the beach, man. It's way easier. But then here's what I think of when I go to the beach. Show the next picture. It's like, there is sand there, a little bit. That's what I think of when I go to the beach. And I think of crowds, and it's like, no, I don't. don't." The feelings that I get in crowds are not the same as some other people get. You may uh, It's been a little while, a few weeks, months. You remember all over the news, we had the pictures of this this great caravan of people coming from down south, getting ready to come into the United States. And I know, because I talked to people, there were a lot of different feelings that people had. In, in, in discussing this and, and what was coming. Another thing that really kind of can get some people going is you, you, if you're involved, involved in it in terms of being affected by it especially, but there, there will be crowds or groups of people who do protests for certain things. I'm not going to show pictures up there because we run the risk of half of you going, yeah, and half of you going, no, because it depends on what side of the protest you're on. But we see the protesters and we feel that, and it's easy to feel contempt when we see the crowds. We see crowds like in some of those examples I gave, and and we just see masses of people we don't know. Sometimes we see masses of people we don't like, and we're not even sure why. We respond to the sight of crowds, sometimes with just apathy and coldness, sometimes anger and contempt, sometimes just we don't, it's like we don't think at all or care at all. And if we're honest, we can do the same thing with the people who are close to us in our lives. We can often be cold to the people who are closest to us in our life. So what we want to talk about is choosing compassion. When you feel contempt. And like all choices, all throughout this series, all these choices, they are heart issues. We have to change the underlying thinking. We have to change the underlying attitude if we're going to change that feeling. So what we need, if it's a heart issue, is we need the right heart. And we know we saw the first week that the heart is um, deceitful, desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says it's evil. Because that, that's usually where we end up. So what we need is the heart of Jesus. And in Philippians 2, we'll probably say this every single week. Philippians 2, 5 says, we must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. So when we're thinking of this, when we're thinking of compassion, when we're thinking of how you see crowds, how did Jesus see crowds? I believe he saw crowds and people differently than even the people that were following him at that time. And we need to be able to see things like Jesus saw them. So we're going to look at a passage of Scripture today, um, Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus is, is in like the height of His ministry. There's a lot of things going on. And His disciples are following. And it says in verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. So He's going from town to town. He's teaching. It says he healed every kind of disease and illness. And those are actually, when it says disease and illness, it's not just being repetitious. They're kind of different words. And one of them implies that, you know, you have these infirmities, you have these problems, you have these issues. And the other one, it's interesting, the word for illness actually is translated many times just like softness or weakness. And it could be something physical, but it also could be that I'm, I'm just, you know, having issues, And it says, Jesus went through, he was preaching about the good news, he was talking about the kingdom, which by the way, that was something that the Jewish nation had been talking about and reading in their scriptures for for 2,000 years. They've been hearing about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. That it's going to be the time when the nation of Israel can shine, their king would be there and everything would be set right. And so he's preaching about the good news. He's preaching about the kingdom and he's healing all these people. And so people are just flocking. The nation of Israel is just flocking to him. And it says in verse 36, when he saw the crowds. Now if they were writing that about me, the next few words would be different. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. It's interesting because he knew that those crowds he was looking at in a very short time were going to try him and crucify him. Those same people were going to turn on him, and he knew that. But he saw the crowds, and he had compassion because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd, like us, often. But we don't look at us. We look at the other crowds and we see the problems. Jesus didn't. The disciples that followed him, they often kind of responded the way we do. They had contempt for the crowds and they voiced it numerous times. They didn't always have the same compassion that Jesus had. So here's what Jesus does. He understands this and he says to his disciples in verse 37, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. He's saying, look, these people are ready for the good news. They're ready to hear about the kingdom. They're ready for some hope. But the workers are few. The people who can share this good news with them are few. They're the ones who feel contempt for the crowds and should be feeling compassion so that they can help them. And so Jesus says, the workers are few, so pray in verse 38. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. That's how he ends that chapter. It says, pray, ask them, ask God, who is the the Lord of the harvest, the one in charge of the harvest, ask him to send send more workers in. And I could see the disciples, they would respond like we do. Yeah, that's a good thing. Let's pray for that. And so they're going to pray that God sends more workers in. See, Jesus displayed certain convictions that we need to develop in our own hearts if we're going to live compassionate lives. He displayed things that we're going to have to have in our hearts if we're going to be like Jesus, if we're going to have compassionate hearts. So today I'm just going to very briefly look at four convictions, four things non-negotiable that create a heart of compassion. Here's the first one. Crowds are full of people. And you're thinking, wow, Tim, that's really deep. (laughs) It seems obvious, but here's the problem. When you see the crowds, you know what you see? Crowds. That's not what Jesus saw when he saw the crowds when jesus saw the crowds he saw people he saw individual people who needed help who needed hope they were lost he said confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd he saw that the crowds are full of people and the gospels are filled with stories about jesus seeing the crowds, and then seeing through the crowds to individuals who desperately needed him in their life. We see it all through the stories. I think of that one story where he's walking down the street and the crowds are pressing in on him and there's this one woman they're all there to be healed to be fed to be whatever because he was doing all these miracles there's this one woman who'd had a physical problem this this issue for 12 years and no doctors could do anything except make it worse and she knew that Jesus was the answer she wormed her way through the crowd thinking if I can just touch his robe up healed and she did she touched his robe and she was healed and he didn't it, what he said was who touched my garment? What we would say is, who touched my garment? You know, that's not what he did. He knew who touched his garment. He was calling attention to the fact that in this crowd are individuals. He comes down the street and there's so many people there. They're lining the streets. They're going ahead of him. They're coming behind him. They're following. And there's this little short guy named Zacchaeus. And he couldn't see Jesus. So he climbed up in a tree. And it says that Jesus saw him actually went to his house, had compassion on him because he saw through the crowds and he saw people. So as simple as that seems, the first conviction we need is we need to create a heart of compassion that sees that crowds are full of people. So when we see those things that we don't like, when we see those caravans, when we see those protesters, when we see those crowds, and the first thing we think of is how they affect us and what it does to us, what we need to realize is there's people in those crowds, and that leads us to the second one. The second conviction is this: very simple. Everybody matters. That's something that we don't get today in, in the in the the, the media and the TVs and the movie. We don't get that today. We get just the opposite of that. I want to read a quote um, from. Uh, You're going to be getting a lot of quotes from C.S. Lewis in the next few months because I'm in the middle of a bunch of books of his, so I'm having a blast, so just deal with it. Here's what it says. I love this quote. There are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. And then he says this relating to something he said earlier that I didn't read. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. You see, the truth is what we look at when we see people is we see mortals. That's not what Jesus sees. He sees people who are going to live forever either with God or apart from Him. And we need to get across in, into our very being and heart, everybody matters. Because we don't, every, we don't know how their life is going to end up. We don't know what's going to happen and we might be a part of what's going on in a good way. And we need to get that everybody matters because all people, all People are created in God's image. Everyone you have ever met, everyone you will meet today is an image bearer of God. We live in a culture that has and continues to dehumanize humans. You know, the the the, I love dogs. I have a dog. We live in a culture where the dogs are more important than the people. I see this all the time, people watching movies. You'll see a, uh, some, some old war movie, and you see you know, 5,000 people killed with a sword, their heads cut off, and the horse gets hurt. Everybody's like, <gasps> you just saw 5,000 people die, and you're worried about the horse. Maybe we should be worried about both. But our culture is dehumanizing humans. And we're not looking at things the same way that we used to. And what we need to do is rehumanize them. The church needs to be at the forefront of this, bringing that back in to realize everyone is an image bearer of the Creator. Whether they're the same culture as us, the same color as us, the same creeds as us, it doesn't matter. They are image bearers of the Creator, and we need to understand that and live that so that people get that. We also need to understand that everyone is an immortal, like we just said. One way or another, everybody lives forever. And this brief time we have here is going to determine what that forever is. So it's important. We also need to understand that Jesus died for anyone willing to trust Him. It doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter what you think of them. It doesn't matter how much you like them or dislike them. We need to understand that Jesus died for anyone willing to trust them. And when we have that hope, we need to share that. So the first thing, crowds are full of people. The second thing Everybody matters. Here's the third thing. This is my favorite. I'm not supposed to have favorites. (laughs) This is my favorite. Everyone has a story, even you. You may not have ever told anybody your story, but we know you got one because everybody has a story. We're good at hiding our stories, and we're also good at ignoring the stories of others. But everyone has a story, and everybody's story is important. And we forget sometimes when we see the crowds or we see the people who we, the, the feelings that come are not compassion, they're contempt. What we forget is there's something behind that. There's a story behind that. I'm going to read you another quote. I'm not going to tell you who it's from right away. <laughs> You're laughing at me. Frankly, there isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. That's huge. There isn't anyone you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. Never underestimate the impact that your mere existence can have on another human being. There is something of yourself that you leave at every meeting with another person. You know who said that? You're thinking C.S. Lewis. Go ahead and put up there who said that. Mr. Rogers. That's some wisdom there. Because it's true that there isn't anyone that you couldn't learn to love once you've heard their story. Because everybody has a story. So sharing your story, that's actually where it starts. Because many of you are thinking now, well, then I just need to hear everybody's story. You do. But you also need to start probably by sharing yours. And your story is not like your Christmas letter where nothing has ever gone wrong and you've had an amazing year and everything is perfect, your story is also, yeah, I, I've screwed up. And you be transparent and you be vulnerable with people. And we share our story and then we can listen to the stories of others because they'll share them with us because now they know that we all have stories. That creates vulnerability. I believe that's one of the reasons why Journey in Our Church is being so effective in this community. Because we all understand we're all screwed up. We're getting better, but we're all screwed up. We all got stories. Vulnerability paves the way for that, for the trust, for the intimacy, for the relationship. The truth is we are all broken. We all have a story, even you, and even if nobody knows it. And it's when we begin sharing and when we begin listening that it it really becomes real, that we become real. I've, I've been a part of many churches in, in the past, growing up especially, where I looked at them and it's like they just projected this image of, you know, we're good, you're no good, we're perfect, you know, someday you'll be okay. And I remember thinking, I will never go to a church like that, ever. And I'm thinking, if I know a little bit about Jesus, somebody who doesn't know Jesus is going to look at that and say, I'm never going there. And you know what? probably shouldn't. Because we want to go to a place where people understand that we're all broken. We shouldn't stay there. I mean, we should stay at the church. We shouldn't stay broken. We should continually be getting better. But that's when we become real, when we share and when we listen to other stories. So, and by the way, the best way to respond when somebody's sharing your story... I can probably share this better, by. here's the worst way to respond when somebody shares their story. (laughs) Don't do that. Even if it shocks you, just don't do that. Because the truth is, we're all broken. So crowds are full of people. Everybody matters. Everybody has a story, even you. And here's the fourth thing. Real compassion, this is the hardest one, shows up as service. We're not talking about a gushy feeling here real compassion shows up as service. That's how people know. When we say, I have compassion for you, how do they know? They don't know what we're thinking. They don't know what feelings those are causing. They know when that compassion shows up as things that we do. Compassion doesn't just see the suffering and pain of others. Compassion acts. In fact, to see pain and suffering in the world and do nothing about it may just demonstrate the greatest coldness of all. Yep, I see that, and I'm not going to do anything about it. And you think, well, I can't, I'm just me. Well, when everybody thinks that, nothing gets done. That's why the church is so important. See, Jesus didn't just model choosing compassion. That was, he did, and that's good, but he didn't just touch and heal and serve people. He also commissioned his followers to do the same. We just finished in chapter 9. The very next passage, immediately after the passage we read, starts in chapter 10, and people usually separate those because there's an unfortunate chapter break. Remember what we just read, what Jesus just said is, pray the Lord who is in charge of the harvest will send forth workers. Here's the very next thing that happened. Jesus called his 12 disciples. Now, he had many disciples. But there was 12 that he chose, that he calls the 12, often in the Gospels. And um, at this point in the ministry, he calls these 12 together. And he gave them, that's very important, he's the one who gave this. He gave them authority to cast out evil spirits and to heal every kind of disease and illness. What we're going to read in the next um, couple verses, some of it's going to be easy, some of it's going to be... Here's what I want you to remember. This is right in the middle of Jesus' earthly ministry. He's still offering the kingdom to the nation of Israel. He is still doing these miracles, and he's giving his people now the authority to do that same thing, to cast out evil spirits, to heal every kind of disease and illness. Same words. Whether it's something that's really obvious on the outside and a physical thing or whether it's things that are not so obvious. They got authority to do that. And then it's interesting because he had just called them his 12 disciples. In verse 2 it says this, Here are the names of the 12 apostles. And I'm just going to read the list of names. I know that's a big list, uh, but I wanted you to see them all at once. First, Simon, also called Peter. Then Andrew. Andrew. That's Peter's brother. So the first two are brothers. Then James, son of Zebedee, and John, James's brother. So it's funny. The first four that are mentioned, they're two sets of brothers. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector. And I think it's funny because when you read through this, you read, uh, we'll get to Judas who later betrayed him. But the one that, other than Judas, the only one that has something kind of negative about him, uh, about him in, in this story is Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And it's not like, oh, he worked for the IRS. The tax collector was like, everybody would go, you know. That's who wrote this. Matthew is letting us know everybody has a story. I have a story. There was Matthew, the tax collector, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon, different Simon than the first one. This was Simon the Zealot. Simon, this is a guy who used to kind of really get involved when he saw those protests and he saw those things going on. He was, he was right in the mix of everything. And then Judas Iscariot, who later betrayed him. Here's what's funny. It's not funny, haha, It's funny, interesting. This is New Living Translation and it has commas between all the names. Almost every other translation you look at what it will do is it will list Simon and Andrew, and instead of a comma, it will have a semicolon. And then it will say James and John, and then it will have a semicolon. And it will say Philip and Bartholomew, and then it will have a semicolon. And the reason it does that is because in the original, these are actually listed in pairs. The first four might have been together, but it was a set of two and a set of two, and all the rest are listed in pairs. And part of that is because we're better together and it actually tells us that the first time jesus sent them out like this by the way apostle means sent one it means messenger representative of somebody so they went from the disciples the followers to the apostles who were the sent ones and it tells us in another place they were sent out probably two by two which i think is hilarious because simon the zealot not simon peter was the one who was you know he got paired up with judas And I I would have been fun to watch what they did during that time. What's interesting about this list is some of these names you look at, it's like, yep, very familiar. Some of it's like, hmm, not so familiar. Some of them are actually called different things in different lists. And like half of these names, literally, half of these names, six of them, are hardly mentioned in detail, like ever, especially even after the cross. I mean, they're listed once, but they're not mentioned in detail. But yet, what they accomplished... During that three and a half years of Jesus' earthly ministry, they accomplished as a group. Even if you've never heard of Thaddeus again, what happened would not have happened without him because Jesus referred to them as the 12, the 12, the 12. He sent them out two by two. He picked the 12 and he's telling us it's, we're better together. This happens as a group. He's also saying, by the way, I ask you to pray that the Lord would send forth labors. (laughs) Whenever you do that, start packing because God's probably going to have something for you to do. And it tells us in verse 5, Jesus sent out the 12 apostles with these instructions. And here's one of the tougher verses if you don't know the background. Don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Weren't the Gentiles and the Samaritans lost? Yes. Who, who are they? Well, I'm one of the Gentiles. The Samaritans were half Gentile and half Jew, and they were kind of despised at that time. And it's not that Jesus is being racist. It's not that he's despising these people. Jesus was one of the only ones who met with the Samaritans. Remember the good Samaritan story that jesus told he was the ones who was the one who was meeting with those people and changing the precedent here's what's happening here he's not saying ignore the gentiles he's not saying ignore the samaritans he's saying we're doing this in an order and right now we're still offering this to the nation of israel they're the lost sheep of israel they're the sheep without a shepherd and he's the good shepherd there would come a time very shortly after this where he would say go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody He would say, start here, go here, go here, go here. Everywhere you go, here's what you do. Right now, in this particular story, he's saying, I just want you to go to the lost sheep of Israel. So that wasn't forever. Much of what happens here is this is just for the moment how he's doing this. But here's what they were supposed to say because they were the ones who had been waiting for thousands of years for the kingdom and the king. Go and announce to them, to the Jewish people, that the kingdom of heaven is near. It's not there yet. It's near. You know why it's near? The King was near. Now he's he's back in heaven again, but he's coming again. And for them, at that moment, the kingdom is near because the King is near. And he tells his followers, "Heal the sick, raise the dead." In fact, everything he lists here are things that he had just gotten done doing. As you read the accounts, he just got done doing all these things: heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy. Now, does does God still heal people today? Absolutely. Does he heal everybody today? No. You know how I know that? Because people die. If he healed everybody, people wouldn't die. I I have seen a lot of things, haven't seen anybody raise the dead yet. I've heard stories of it happening. I don't know. I don't think I want to see it. (laughs) I'll wait until it's me. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons. Those are things that God can still do today, but then he did continuously. Here's the most important part of that whole verse. Give freely as you have received. They just got done receiving that. They just got done experiencing that. They just got done being given authority, we read in in verse 1 to do all these things. Today, right now, 2019, Jesus is still choosing. He's still calling. He's still commissioning. He's still equipping. He's still empowering people to show compassion and to love and to heal, to preach and to teach and to minister and to serve. He's still doing that today. And every single one of us needs to have that heart of compassion, which is not just the gushy feeling. It's the thing that motivates us to do something, to serve. I want to focus on that last part of verse 8. It says, give as freely as you have received. And we think those 12 were given authority by Jesus to do those things. Here's the question. We see what they were given. What have we been given? Because he is still saying this to us today. He is still saying, go and announce the kingdom is near. He is still saying, give freely as you have received. What have we been given? I told you I've been in Second Peter um, in my quiet time, and I can't seem to get out of the first few verses. Um, I'm just, so I'm just going to share this with you. This is where I've been at this week. Um, and not up on a screen, I'm just going to read this for you and just emphasize a few things, just a few verses here. Um, this letter is from Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. We just read that Jesus called him an apostle. I am writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. Now, Peter, obviously, at this point in his life, has a lot of faith. He's done amazing things. He's saying the faith that we have is equally like his equally precious like is. We have this faith, and and it's easy for me to think, I don't have the same faith that Peter does, but yet he just said that, that I do have the same faith that he does. Here's why he says that. We have the wrong idea about faith. We think faith is something we need to muster up. I don't have enough faith. I don't have any faith. I have to muster my faith up. Did you know that you can do that until the cows come home and you ain't never going to have more faith? Do you know where faith comes from in the Bible? Always? It doesn't come from you. Here's what he says. I'm writing to you who share the same equally precious faith we have. This faith was given to you. It was given to you because of the justness and the fairness. Because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our God and our Savior. You have the faith because he gave it to you. And in verse 2 he says, May God give you more and more grace and peace. Do you want grace? you know how you get grace? It's given to you, just like faith. You want peace? Do you know how you get peace? It's given to you, just like the faith and just like the grace. May God give you more and more grace and peace. And here's how that happens as you grow in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. That does not mean no more facts. It means come to know Him better. We, we talked last week about the divine infection, and the closer you are to Jesus, the more you get it. That's what he's saying here. These things are given to you more and more as you spend time with him, as you are close to him, as you know more about him. It's not the facts that you know about him. It's that you know him. And then it says in verse 3, By, by his divine power, God has given us. The whole passage is talking about what he's given us. By His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We looked at this a little bit ago. If you want to be able to do what you should do, to live the kind of life you should live, the only way you can do that is through Him because He's given us everything we need for a godly life. We have received all of this, not because of anything we did. We just received it by coming to know Him, the One who called us to Himself by means of His marvelous glory and excellence. And because of His glory and excellence, He has given us great and precious promises. These are promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. He has given us so many things. And then he says, and here's where we come down to what we're talking about now. In view of all this, of everything that you've been given, if you're a follower of Jesus, that's what you've been given, that's what you've received. He says this, make every effort to respond to God's promises that you've been given. And then he says, The first thing we were given is faith. Supplement your faith. He's saying he's not muster it up. He's saying add add to what you've been given this. Supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence. That's integrity. That's who you are. That's living the right kind of life. You supplement your faith. It doesn't get you to heaven. It just demonstrates something to people. You supplement your faith with this moral excellence. And supplement moral excellence with knowledge. That means learning more about God, learning more, coming to know Him better, spending that time with Him. Supplement your knowledge with self-control. This is a progression. The more we do these things, the easier they come. You can't start with self-control. You start with with the other things. You start with first the faith he's given you, then the moral excellence, and then the knowledge. And then after you're getting to know him better, the self-control comes into it a little bit better. And he says, And supplement self-control with patient endurance. You're going through things you don't want to go through. You're, you're seeing crowds do things you don't think they should do. And because of our progression here, we're having a little bit of moral excellence. We're having a little bit of self-control. We're being able to patiently endure. Um, and he says supplement that patient endurance with godliness. Godliness is an external thing. If you start with the external thing, you know what you have? Nothing. When you start internally and allow Him to change you from the inside out, that supplement is on the outside, people are going to start seeing that on the outside. Supplement patient endurance with godliness. And then He says, verse 7, supplement godliness with brotherly affection. You know what that means? I mean, it, it means like your brother. But it means brothers and sisters here, journeying our church, brothers and sisters in the other churches in pine city brothers and sisters in churches all over first of all we need to love each other and that doesn't come first that comes after we supplement our faith with all these other things we get to having that brotherly affection loving each other and then finally he says and supplement that brotherly affection you can't stop there i mentioned churches that i grew up in they figured out how to like love each other, although they really didn't. On the outside, they loved each other. But that was it. Nobody else. He says here, supplement your brotherly affection with love for everyone. So when we want to have compassion and choose compassion instead of feeling contempt, there's a process there. We have to understand all those things we looked at, that crowds are full of people, that everybody matters, that everybody has a story, even you, and that that compassion will show up as service. That's what love is. And then the next two verses, are a little bit of a warning. The more you grow like this in those processes, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Him, understanding Him, just having that that relationship, you will be more productive and useful in your knowledge of that if you continue to grow like I just read. And then verse 9 is the but. But. Those who fail to develop in this way. You see, choosing compassion, although it's a choice, there's no choice. Because failing to develop in this way, those who fail to develop like that are short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their old sins. See, Everybody has a story. We're all in this. And what we have to understand is there's a progression that God wants to get us to the point where we see those crowds and we feel the same compassion Jesus has. It's a choice when we choose his heart and we choose to think like he does. So here's your challenge for the week. Go and be a part of somebody's story. I don't know who that's going to be. Maybe God has someone on your heart right now and maybe later on today or tomorrow you're just going to run into someone and you can say, wow, that was odd that I ran into them. No, it's not. Because if you say, Jesus, the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few. Send forth laborers into the field. Then buckle up because that's what he's going to do for you. Listen to people's stories. Share your story with them and choose compassion. You know what the biggest part of my story is? Jesus. Jesus is the biggest part of my story. And he wants to be the biggest part of your story. So that when you're sharing your story, you might share about the brokenness, you might share about the past, but all that you can think of is Jesus. Jesus, what's the answer? Jesus. Because he is a part of your story. If you don't know him, you can meet him today. You say, I've heard about him. doesn't matter. You say, I believe that there's a Jesus. So does the devil. It's not enough to know about him. You have to know him. You have to come to know him. I'd like you to close your eyes, bow your heads, close your eyes as we get ready to pray. I know, Father, that for many... um, with, with current situations, um, even with what we've experienced here at church, with, with the things we see around us, with the things we see in the news, it's sometimes hard to have compassion. That contempt just kind of rears its ugly head. We know that there's a process that all starts with what you've given us, and it starts with um, us moving through that process, allowing you to work in us and change us, because we know that you've given us everything we need for godly living. So, I pray that we would be able to make that choice as we grow closer to you, as we learn more from you, that we would be able to make that choice of compassion that would be demonstrated to people as as it shows up in our life as not just a feeling of love, but serving in love other people. And, Father, for anybody listening to this who's never had that experience of actually coming to know you, maybe they've been burned by church, maybe they've been burned by people in the church. Maybe they just don't have that experience and what they're thinking about church was not what you're thinking about it at all. That it's just a group of broken people who are getting better because of you. And I pray that in simple faith they would realize they're one of those broken people, that sin has separated them from you and they need to turn from that sin and turn to you, knowing that you are Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through you. And that they could come into that relationship today even though they they don't understand it now and won't understand it fully until they stand before you face to face. That in simple faith they would say, I want that. I want that in my life. And that today they would ask you to be personally in their lives, to be their Savior, to take over. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song. Couple things. Next week is Father's Day. Actually, I'm going to... Is next week Father's Day? Okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. <laughs> that means that's when these are due. And here's what we will promise you. When you get them in, we will get them to the Pregnancy Resource Center as fast as possible, just in case. And uh, for those of you on Facebook, I don't know if you noticed, but last, last evening, um, the Pine County Sheriff's Office uh, put a post up that had uh, pictures from the video of the guy one of the people who broke in. Um, And I got up this morning, and it's like, normally I see like, wow, 10 people shared this. I think it was like 400 this morning. Um, Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This week, you need to go and be a part of somebody's story. If you see that post and you see that picture, you know what your first thing to do is? Pray for that person. To pray for that person. Because we want to have hearts of compassion, not hearts of contempt. And that flows out from allowing God to do in us what he should. So the biggest part of my story is Jesus. He wants to be the biggest part of your story too. If you don't know him, meet him today. If you have met him today or want to know more about that, there's a card. I don't know if it's this color, but on the welcome desk, there are these cards It's a Decision Made Today. Whether you decided to follow Jesus today, whether you decided to recommit your life to him, or you'd like to know more about it, fill that out so that we can get in contact with you and we can help because we are better together. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your love for us. I thank you for demonstrating that love. I thank you for giving us what you have given us so that we could be your hands and feet, so that we could accomplish what you want us to accomplish here. Help us to be able to have those hearts of compassion, to choose compassion, even though sometimes we feel contempt. Father, we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.